Good morning, and welcome to Simply Economics. It's Monday, January 29th. On today's show, SMCP reports stable Q4 sales despite a deteriorated macroeconomic environment, and we take a look at the impact of central banks and macroeconomics on the Hang Seng Index, ASX 200, and Nikkei 225. Plus, we discuss the challenges of poorly defined concepts in macroeconomics. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Economics. We start off with news from the fashion industry. French fashion group SMCP, owner of brands such as Sandro, Maj, Claudie Pierlo, and Fursac, has announced that its 2023 sales and adjusted earnings margin are expected to fall slightly below its guidance. This comes after what the company describes as a challenging December in Europe, particularly in France and China. Here to delve into this further is our correspondent, Celeste. Can you tell us more about SMCP's revised expectations? Certainly, David. SMCP now expects annual sales to be around 1.23 billion euros, which is a constant currency growth of 3.8% from 2022. This falls short of their previous guidance of mid-single-digit growth. Additionally, their adjusted earnings before interest and taxes margin is projected to range from 6.4% to 6.6% of sales, also below the earlier guidance of 7 to 9%. What factors have led to this downward revision in SMCP's expectations? SMCP has attributed this to a challenging fourth quarter, where sales remain stable compared to 2022 at constant exchange rates. The company has pointed to a deteriorating macroeconomic context marked by geopolitical tensions, weak household consumption, and persistent inflation as key factors impacting their performance. This isn't the first time SMCP has had to adjust its forecasts, is it? That's correct, David. This announcement comes just four months after the group lowered its sales and profitability forecasts for the year. At that time, the company cited inflation impacting consumer spending in Europe and consumption in China not following the expected trajectory as the reasons for the revision. While SMCP is facing a tough economic climate, as Celeste just shared, the broader market seems to be faring better. On Wednesday, the Hang Seng Index led the Nikkei 225 and the ASX 200 into positive territory, fueled by U.S. inflation figures and China's central bank moves. However, Thursday's session might be more cautious, with economic indicators from Japan and Australia in focus. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent from Simply Economics. Indeed, David. The softer-than-expected U.S. consumer price inflation figures raised bets on the Fed ending its rate hike cycle, which set the tone for the Wednesday Asian session. This led to a rally in rate-sensitive tech stocks and a slide in 10-year U.S. Treasury yields. And how did the economic indicators from Asia influence the markets? Well, economic indicators from Japan didn't spook investors. In fact, a more marked economic contraction than expected fueled bets on the Bank of Japan keeping monetary policy ultra-loose. Meanwhile, better-than-expected retail sales and industrial production numbers from China suggested that Beijing's stimulus measures were taking effect, supporting the appetite for riskier assets. What about the U.S. equity markets? How did they perform on Wednesday? U.S. equity markets had a positive session on Wednesday. U.S. retail sales fell less than expected while producer prices signaled easing demand-driven inflationary pressures. 
This, along with the Fed potentially ending its rate hike cycle amid falling inflationary pressures, increases the chance of an H1 2024 Fed rate cut. So what can we expect for the Asian session? The modest U.S. equity market gains may set a cautious tone for the Asian session. However, the Asian economic calendar warrants consideration. This morning, machinery orders from Japan beat forecasts, suggesting a possibly improving demand environment. However, trade data sent mixed signals. For the ASX 200, Australian employment figures could influence sentiment toward RBA monetary policy. And how did the futures markets react to this? The futures markets signaled a negative start to the Thursday session. The ASX 200 and the Nikkei were down 9 and 60 points, respectively. Let's talk about the individual markets. How did the ASX 200 perform on Wednesday? The ASX 200 rose by 1.42% on Wednesday. Tech rallied on the overnight slide in yields. Mining stocks also contributed to the gains. However, oil stocks had a negative session. What about the Hang Seng Index? The Hang Seng Index rallied 3.92% on Wednesday. Hopes of improved U.S.-China relations and central bank policy moves contributed to the session gains. And finally, the Nikkei 225. The Nikkei 225 ended Wednesday up 2.52%. However, it was a mixed session for the main components of the Nikkei 225. That was Simply Economics correspondent Michael, providing insights on the recent market movements. Now let's shift our focus to the realm of macroeconomics, where the concepts of aggregate demand and monetary policy are often poorly defined, leading to confusion and disagreement among economists. A recent interview with Jonathan Hazel by David Beckworth has brought these issues to light once again, particularly in relation to the Phillips curve model and the concept of demand shocks. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent from Simply Economics. Indeed, David. Hazel discusses the role of demand shocks in the Phillips curve model, pointing out that despite a significant and persistent demand shock in the United States between the end of 2020 and now, the unemployment rate remains around 3%, similar to 2019 when inflation was not very high. This raises questions about the relationship between demand shocks, unemployment, and inflation. So, are economists disagreeing about the role of aggregate demand in recent inflation, or are they defining aggregate demand in different ways? That's a great question. It seems that the disagreement may stem more from differing definitions of aggregate demand. Some economists focus on economic slack, while others focus on nominal spending. Both perspectives can be correct, depending on how one defines an aggregate demand shock. Hazel also discusses the concept of R-star, or the natural rate of interest. Can you explain this concept and why it's controversial? R-star is thought of as the interest rate that clears the market for saving and investment while ensuring stable inflation and full employment. However, this definition can be problematic. For instance, what if the interest rate that generates stable prices fails to generate full employment or vice versa? Moreover, the concept of R-star is somewhat vague and can lead to disagreements among economists. What are some of the other poorly defined concepts in macroeconomics that lead to confusion or disagreement? There are many, including various multipliers, velocity, the IS and LM curves, monetary policy, fiscal policy, aggregate supply, aggregate demand, bubbles, and the natural rates of interest, unemployment, and output. 
Because these concepts are so poorly defined, debates often arise that are essentially about nothing more than differing definitions. So, how can we improve the clarity and usefulness of these concepts in macroeconomics? One approach is to focus on concepts that are measured, such as PCE inflation, average hourly earnings, the unemployment rate, and the currency stock. For example, regarding aggregate demand as equivalent to measured NGDP can provide a relatively unambiguous understanding of recent trends in aggregate demand. Bella certainly gave us some food for thought on the complexities of macroeconomic concepts. Speaking of which, shares of athletic company Puma took a hit on Wednesday after the company reported a downturn in its Q4 business and warned of ongoing external challenges through 2024. Puma's CEO, Arne Freund, stated that geopolitical and macroeconomic challenges, as well as volatile currencies, are expected to persist, affecting consumer sentiment and demand. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent, James. Can you tell us more about Puma's situation? Certainly, David. Puma's shares were down by more than 10% following the announcement. The company's 2023 results, which were reported preliminarily, were negatively impacted by a 54% drop of the Argentine peso in December 2023. This led to a currency-adjusted sales decline in Q4 of about 4% to about 1.98 billion euros and a net income of 800,000 euros, both of which fell below analysts' expectations. That's quite a hit. But what about the company's full-year performance? For the full year, Puma reported currency-adjusted sales growth of 6.6%, with sales of about 8.6 billion euros. This was in line with its outlook for high single-digit currency-adjusted growth. Its EBIT was 622 million euros, which was also as expected. Despite these challenges, Puma's CEO seems to remain optimistic. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, Freund stated that Puma is in a better position at the start of 2024 than it was at the start of 2023. The company has cleared its inventories and has a product pipeline with exciting new products and innovations. They're also planning to launch a new brand campaign soon. Puma's ambition is to continue to grab market shares. What are Puma's expectations for the future, given these circumstances? Looking ahead, Puma expects currency-adjusted sales growth in the mid-single digits and EBIT between 620 million and 700 million euros in 2024. However, these projections are set against a backdrop of ongoing external challenges, which the company acknowledges it cannot change. And how does this compare to other players in the industry, like Nike? Well, Nike recently outlined measures to save up to $2 billion in costs over the next three years. They plan to simplify their product assortment, increase automation, and streamline their organization, among other measures. It's a different approach, but it shows that the entire industry is grappling with similar challenges. Thanks for joining us, James. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Economics. We'll see you back here tomorrow.